Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Florida Politics, powered by Gannett. The Florida legislature is reconvening next week for a special session on gambling. Florida Republicans vote to oust Liz Cheney from her leadership role and former President Donald Trump continues to flex his muscles in state politics here in Florida. Hello, I'm Sarasota Herald Tribune political editor Zach Anderson, and those are some of the stories I'll be discussing this week with Palm Beach Post politics editor Antonio Finns and Tallahassee Democrat news director Jim Rossica. But first... Y'all know what that music means. It's number picking time. Uh, Antonio, you have a number for us today? Yeah, I'm going to go with 2.05 million. All right. How about you, Jim? I'm going to go with 2.5 billion. 2.5 billion. You really upped him there. I am uh, way below you guys today with 300. Remember those numbers, folks. Write them down. We'll tell you what they mean in Florida politics at the end of the show. Well, it was a quick break for Florida lawmakers who wrapped up their annual 60-day legislative session just two weeks ago and now must return to Tallahassee for a special session on gambling. Jim, you've covered the gambling issue for years. You're you're, uh, deeply versed in in this. What do you think, uh, why do you think a deal to expand gambling is finally coming together after uh, so many efforts have failed in the past? Zach, I would actually uh, quote from a uh, story by our colleague, John Kennedy, who talked to a guy by the name of Mark Dunbar. Mark's been here in Tallahassee for many years now. He's a lawyer lobbyist. One of the things he does uh, is he has uh, he has lobbied for paramutuals. He teaches gambling law at Florida State University. And and his quote in John's story that came out this week, um, I think really encapsulates um, why now. And what Mark said was simply timing. Uh, he said sports betting has changed the landscape for gaming across the nation. The governor is a really smart guy and he understood the new uh, gaming chessboard. And obviously this this new deal that was brokered by uh, Governor Ron DeSantis and the Seminole Tribe of Florida. It's uh, 30 years um, worth a grand total of, um, uh, well, I, I can't say how much it's worth just, just yet, uh, but it's worth a lot of money. Uh, so that's the reason that the lawmakers are gonna come back into special session next week because they've got to review that. They have The first part of the process is lawmakers have to approve it, then it has to go to uh, regulators at the uh, Department of Interior. Ultimately, the Secretary of the Interior is going to have to sign off on it. It'll have to be published in the Federal Register, uh, and then we can uh, be uh, pardoned the uh, pun off to the races here in Florida. And so the timing is really the rise in, in sports betting, right? I mean, that that's kind of the sweetener that everybody gets a piece of that. And I mean, in the past, you've had you know, um, the, the Seminole tribe, which which has a monopoly on c- sort of casino gambling um, games like blackjack. And, and uh, you know, they, they don't want anybody else to to eat into that. 
Um, and then you have all these other paramutuals, uh, you know, the horse racing and the dog, uh, the greyhound racing and the high ally. And, um, you know, they, they all uh, have different levels of gambling with poker rooms and some of them have slot machines and then they, you can bet on the races there. But, um, you know, they, they don't want to see. Uh, you know, the, you know, sort of the, you know, the, they have a rivalry with the Seminole tribe to to some extent. And so they're all sort of competing for a piece of the gambling pie. And this, uh, you know, the, 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 that rivalry has sort of doomed any deal to to failure because they, they can't quite figure out who's going to get what. But this sports betting, everybody gets a little piece, right? I think the, the introduction of sports betting into the deal is is what sealed the deal. Uh, you're exactly right. The Seminole tribe gets uh, sport, sports betting. And then to kind of share the wealth, what they did was um, they said the Seminole tribe will run the sports betting um, paramutuals. That is, uh, you know, the former dog tracks who, who have who just have card rooms now or uh, in South Florida. Uh, you know, there's a horse track that has a card room, but it also has slots because. Um, besides the Seminoles, only only uh, paramutuals in Broward and Miami-Dade are allowed to have uh, slot machines. So this this was definitely an, an added sweetener uh, to uh, to get at least the the governor's side and the and the tribe side to come to the table and, and agree on this thing. And, and if it all goes as planned, you will have legal sports betting uh, for the first time uh, available to you. Uh, in Florida, if you bet, if you bet here in Florida, and and one other thing uh, that's interesting to me, in the past you've had sort of social conservatives who don't like gambling, particularly I think in the House, um, kind of as a roadblock to some of this stuff to expanding gambling. We're not really seeing that this time around, are we? I mean, DeSantis doesn't seem to have those same concerns. Um, you know, I, it doesn't seem like there's really uh, been outspoken concerns, um, you know, from social conservatives. Uh, is is that part maybe one of the reasons this is happening now? I, I think it may well be. And, and I don't yet have a really good sense of how many uh, uh, conservatives in the House are, are, are already blanching at this deal, but they're not saying it. I can tell you that uh, true to form, there is already... Uh, what is being billed as a uh, a mass protest is uh, planned for next Tuesday. That's that's kind of mm. the middle of the special session. Uh, surprise, surprise! It is co-organized by No Casinos, um, longtime uh, anti-gambling expansion group here in which Florida, is, which is funded by. In the past, at least, by Disney, which doesn't want to see the some of the competition, I guess, for gambling if people have conferences at gambling locations, and and also by the Seminole Tribe. I don't know who is funding them now, but that's interesting. Correct, and they are going into partnership uh, with none other than John Stemberger, uh, who is an Orlando lawyer. I like to call him a longtime uh, conservative morality warrior. Uh, uh, I think his groups are, uh, it's, it's the Florida family sure. uh, policy council. And there, he has also has a, a legislative action arm to that, but they are hiring buses. They are taking, um, uh, the, you, if you want to come to Tallahassee and protest against this gambling deal, uh, you can get on a bus in 
uh, or they're, they're talking about Orlando, Jacksonville. Uh, the, there is a bus from Miami, but they said it's already full. Sorry. Um, they are offering a complimentary lunch once you get here to Tallahassee. Um, and uh, so uh, lawmakers will have that to contend with. And, and remember also uh, next week, the Capitol is open. Uh, the Capitol has been reopened uh, after its long COVID shutdown. So who knows uh, what uh, what what throngs of lobbyists and protesters we may wind up seeing um, walking the halls, jamming the rotunda, trying to get in to see lawmakers um, as uh, as this deal that is potentially worth uh, billions of dollars is uh, is discussed and voted on next week here in Tallahassee. And that's pretty interesting. I mean, so far, it, it hasn't seemed like there's that much opposition to this within the legislature, or at least not that much outspoken uh, opposition. Maybe people don't really want to go against DeSantis. Uh, he's pretty popular uh, in the party right now. But if Stemberger starts putting heat on lawmakers and some of these social conservatives uh, might feel some pressure to to reconsider um, whether this is a good idea. So we'll have to watch. As lawmakers prepare for that gambling session, one legislative leader who will play a key role received a big boost from former President Donald Trump. Trump endorsed Senate President Wilton Simpson for the job of Agriculture Commissioner this week. That's a statewide office, and Simpson hasn't even announced that he's running for yet. Jim, what do you make of the timing of this endorsement? There's been talk of Trump potentially trying to get a gambling license at his resort in Doral in Miami-Dade County. This gambling compact with the Seminole tribe does allow for gambling licenses to be transferred uh, between properties in Miami-Dade and Broward. So it's at least theoretically possible that, um, you know, you could see a a license transferred to a a Trump property under this deal, but it would require sort of separate uh, authorization from the legislature. Do you think Trump is trying to nudge uh, Simpson in that direction with this endorsement? I would imagine so, although as a, as a big proviso, obviously I need to uh, to bring up the fact that uh, another big uh, potential uh, gambling expansion, so to put it, is uh, that was in play was there was a lot of discussion about the Fountain Blue uh, right. in uh, Miami Beach, owned by a very rich gentleman by the name of uh, Jeff Sofer. Um, Mr. Sofer, for years, has kind of uh, I don't want to say agitated, but has nudged to try to get um, uh, a uh, a gambling license that, that I believe he already has. But in in another location, um, to, he's wanted to transfer that to the Fountain Blue to make the Fountain Blue uh, a, a gambling destination, um, so to speak. And just this week, Senate President Simpson. Uh, the one and the same was was asked about that, and and he he told I believe it was CBS Miami in in an interview um, that um, that was not going to happen that they that they were not going to get bogged down talking about um, uh, moving around of uh, gambling licenses right. and, and permits. So I'm guessing that if if they don't want to entertain it for Jeff Sofer. The multi-billionaire, and actually, Simpson was asked about Trump uh, too. I think I think uh, Defiti uh, asked uh, asked him about uh, Doral getting a license too, and I think he said point blank that we're not contemplating that. But we're not contemplating it. Yeah, okay. things right. things change, you know. I mean, who knows uh, what happens once they get up there and in, in session and the pressure's on and. Um, 
you know, and and then there's also long term here. You know, Simpson is going to be a Senate president for another year, so you know they could come back next year uh, and and do something. But um, uh, just having this in the compact where they can transfer these licenses uh, without incurring any penalty from the the Seminole tribe at least um, you know makes it a possibility going forward, which is interesting. Well, one of the old jokes about the legislature is uh, I, I I forget the long ago. House Speaker who made a promise to somebody that he was going to vote a certain way, and then uh, 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 the vote came and he voted another way, and somebody went back to him and said, "What happened?" And he was like, "Well, you know, a week is a long time." So, <laughs> absolutely, uh, your position one week could be not your position yeah. the next week. So we'll see. Twenty-four hours is a long time. Is a uh, long time. So who knows? Well, whether Trump will have any influence over the gambling debate, he certainly still has a lot of influence over Republican voters. And his endorsement of Simpson proved he's willing to use that influence to promote candidates that he prefers. The president also has flexed his political muscles in an effort to oust Liz Cheney from her leadership role in the U.S. House of Representatives, Republican lawmakers, including Florida lawmakers like uh, Vern Buchanan and Greg Stubbe, who I both um, sent me statements this week uh, about their votes. Um, you know, they were in favor of removing Cheney from her leadership role. Uh, you know, uh, Buchanan said that he wanted to see unity and leadership and, and Stubbe the same thing. Um, so, I mean, they, they viewed her as uh, her her dissenting voice as, uh, you know, kind of uh, messing with the, the GOP unity. Antonio, just a few months ago, in the wake of the the Capitol riot, it really seemed like Trump's influence was waning, and top Republicans were sort of more willing to distance themselves from uh, the former president. But but now it, it, his grip over the GOP seems to be tightening again, right? Yeah, Zach, and that just speaks to his tenacity and also the tenacity and loyalty of his following. Uh, look, when he, when he returned to Palm Beach on January twentieth. It was under a cloud of disgrace. It was just two weeks after that terrible and deadly insurrection at the Capitol, and a week after he was impeached, a measure of ignominy to leave office not only under impeachment, but also as the only president to be accused by the House of Representatives for committing high crimes and misdemeanors on two separate occasions. But there was something interesting that we saw that day as you know his motorcade went from Palm Beach International airport all the way along Southern Boulevard, all the way to Mar-a-Lago. And that was the Trump base, Trump nation, fully lining Southern Boulevard to cheer him on. And that moment right there in hindsight was the turning point, because as bad as things looked for Trump at that, at that moment, that day, it showed his base was right there still with him. And as long as his base was with him, he had leverage, he had pull. And Trump has always known how to leverage his base of political support into political power. Not to mention, by the way, that the baseless and unfounded election fraud claims helped him raise a reported $200 million plus. And remember, in politics, if you have money and voters, you have power. It sort of makes that, that, that week a lot shorter that we talked about earlier. So, And Trump had both money and power, and so he has used both effectively to basically regain his political grip on the GOP. That's why we saw GOP House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy come down to Mar-a-Lago and bend the knee and how we saw Trump act like Matt Gates, a Pensacola Republican congressman, head up to Cheyenne, Wyoming, to basically begin the political hit job on Liz Cheney, which, as you just mentioned, ended Wednesday with her expulsion from her third-ranking post in the uh, Republican House conference. Now, Gates has his own issues, so Cheney may get the last laugh there, 
But nonetheless, for Trump, it, it is a remarkable, if not for his opponents, a dismaying political comeback. Look, after Watergate, it took Richard Nixon decades of statesmanship and foreign policy book writing to refurbish some of his legacy. It took Trump just under four months to regain his political power. And of course, the final chapter in Trump's political story is far from written. Clearly now Trump is positioned for a Grover Cleveland-like comeback in 2024. You know, whether he will run or can even win is far from certain, but he is positioned, it's his call, and that is something that seemed far-fetched at noon on January 20th. Now, I spoke with uh, Professor Wesley Baruki at Palm Beach Atlantic University this week, and he's been actually writing this book about the uh, Trump presidency and, and Trump's political, you know, his, his career. And, you know, he mentioned that that manuscript is supposed to, he's supposed to deliver it to his uh, publisher in, in late 2022. And he was joking about, you know, maybe changing the uh, deadline to sometime in 2024 so he can at least write uh, what happens with Trump's uh, potential comeback. And yeah, I told him, yeah, probably a good idea to put that book off for a bit because uh, or write it and have some update chapters ready for a second edition because the final act on this saga has, has yet to play out. Yeah. And, and you could see that, uh, you know, his endorsement of Wilton Simpson before he even announces that he's running for agriculture commissioner. I mean, that's pretty likely to just clear the field for for Simpson. Um, you know, Matt Gates had flirted with running for that job. Obviously, he's probably out of the picture uh, now that, um, you know, he's under investigation and, and Simpson's was, was seen as a, a likely front runner. Uh, anyway, but, you know, um, you know, that could be a, a fairly important uh, position. It's not very high profile. People don't really pay attention to the agriculture commissioner. Um, you know, it's not a race that is closely covered. But you look at the last two agriculture commissioners, uh, Adam Putnam, who ran for governor, and now Nikki Freed might run for governor. It very, seems very likely. It is a launching pad. Uh, it is a, a a statewide elected office that gets your name out there. And, and Trump has proven that he's he's willing to continue to 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 flex his muscles and try to have influence over that. I mean, th that's pretty likely to to keep uh, people close to him, right? I mean, to keep candidates close to him. If they're worried about an endorsement, uh, basically uh, knocking them out of the race, if their opponent gets endorsed, they're not going to uh, stray too far from Trump's message, are they? No, and we've seen that repeatedly. In fact, I'm, I'm, it's really interesting. You mentioned Vern Buchanan and Greg Stubbe. I'm waiting to hear. I have yet to see the press releases from the Miami Republican Congress members on how they voted on Lynn Cheney. And, you know, whenever they vote, we get the press release on how, you know, Mario Diaz-Balart or, or um, Maria Vida Salazar voted or, you know, even Carlos Jimenez. Um, it's, been, it's been crickets on Cheney. Right. And, uh, and, and although the three of them actually voted back a couple months ago to remove um, Marjorie uh, Taylor Greene from her committee assignments in the House for her a lot, owing a lot of it to her statements about the Parkland uh, school massacre. So, you know, on this one, they're, they're being very quiet, circumspect, and it's, it's because they, they, they don't want to anger Trump. And I, I'm actually, you know, I was listening to the conversation that you and, and uh, Jim were having about Trump and, and Wilt, you know, and Simpson and the potentially the raw property and casino gambling. And uh, I throw out there that Doral has been one of the, the Trump properties that has really been struggling the last couple of years. It's been the, the, the real underperformer financially. So it, he has a Trump would have a major stake in uh, wanting to perhaps put some casino gambling in there. 
And let me tell you, knowing Miami, the 305, and, and particularly Hispanics down there, and their, 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 their love for gambling and casino gambling, if, if, if Trump had a casino there, that place would be packed. Yeah, and Eric Trump, uh, the, the former president's son, actually told the Washington Post in a statement that, uh, you know, uh, something along the lines, he was basically touting Doral as, as a gambling uh, destination and saying that, you know, a lot of people view it as, you know, potentially, uh, you know, a, a real uh, – um, one of the best setups for gambling, uh, you know, uh, that, you, that you could have down there, a large property. So he, he, they're certainly paying attention to this debate. They're certainly very interested in it, how much they're lobbying behind the scenes on it. You know, we don't know, but, but, um, but we're, I'm tempted. I'm tempted to say that if you know what, they could put a major casino there. They might even pave over the blue monster. <laughs> well, and, you know, Trump has a gambling history in Atlantic City. So, I mean, he, he obviously uh, was interested in the past and there's no reason to think he wouldn't be interested uh, in the future. So it, it's a, a fascinating intrigue sort of uh, a kind of twist here in this whole gambling debate in Florida, which uh, kicks off in earnest next week with a special uh, session uh, up in Tallahassee. We'll be covering it uh, closely. Jim is uh, supervising that and is going to be involved in it. So, uh, you know, stay tuned. We'll be we'll be taking a, a deep look into it. Well, we'll move on to our uh, numbers here. Antonio, you want to start? You had 2.05 million. I do. 2.05 million is the forecast number for Floridians expected to travel this coming Memorial Day weekend. That is a 60, per, that would be 62% higher than last year. Now, if you recall last year, Memorial Day was at the start of the some of that business reopening moves after the pandemic shutdown. Yet still on Memorial Day 2020, most Florida beaches were closed and so were the gems of Florida tourism, the Central Florida theme parks. So yeah, it's hard to measure just how much things are better today. Still, with much greater economic commerce comes some unwelcome news. The average price of gas gallon gasoline in Florida reached $2.88 at the start of this week, and that price is just three cents under the highest price of the year, $2.92, which is the highest price in a long time. And that was before the temporary shutdown of that colonial pipeline, which caused some panic buying and shortages up in Tallahassee and across North Florida. I was, I was actually worried about the gas situation up there because thinking maybe Jim wouldn't be able to make the podcast if he was stuck without <laughs> gasoline somewhere. But Antonio, you didn't put any gas in plastic bags, did you? No, no, no. But you know what? When hurricane season comes around this year <laughs> and the warning comes out not to barbecue in your garage and you're thinking who would barbecue in the garage, it was that guy. Yeah, so, the same guy who fills uh, bags of gas and puts them in his trunk. <laughs> exactly. So now look, all joking aside, you know, consumer prices uh, this week were reported for April. They really shot up across the country a 4.2% increase, which is the highest rate for a month in a decade. And in Florida, you know, gasoline prices are very important owing to our community society and reliance on driving tourism. So a gasoline price shock is especially unwelcome as the tourism industry is counting on a strong Memorial Day travel and summer tourism season uh, to really boom after last year's pandemic shutdown. And that's coupled with growing concerns of a labor shortage, even with a still relatively high unemployment rate, especially in the hospitality sector. And now there's been a lot of talk that that's because people who lost their jobs are reportedly not seeking reemployment and instead relying on jobless benefits. Well, what all this points to is, as one economist told me this week, some potential serious headwinds for the economy. That's not good news for new President Joe Biden, 
remember I talked about last week, had a very tepid 45% approval rate in Florida. But you know what? It's actually not so much good news for Ron DeSantis either. Why? Because, you know, DeSantis's big claim is that, hey, I reopened the economy. I got everybody their jobs back. I, I brought us back to normalcy. Well, an economic slide would really go against that. In addition, DeSantis has a bit of a problem right now with the cruise ships, which is one of the major industries in South Florida. Um, you know, his, his vaccine passport ban that became state law basically is sending some of these cruise ships, they're saying that they're going to start sailing from foreign ports. That's no bueno down in Miami where, you know, obviously it, it's a big employer. NCL is one of them, Carnival, these are big employers. And, and you know, if DeSantis is the one that ends up holding the old maid card because on, on the cruise ships headed elsewhere, that's not going to be good for him. So, you know, now DeSantis could always say, you know, the economic slide is Biden's fault. It's his stimulus. It's, you know, he, he, he overstimulated the economy and now we got inflation. And yeah, you know, he, he could make that argument. But as we said many times on this podcast, if you are explaining, you ain't winning. So don't be shocked if the tone of political talk changes in the next couple of months. Up to now, it's been a verbal joust between the Biden and the Zantis camps as to who should take credit for the great economic achievements. Don't be surprised if it switches now to who is to blame for this sucky economy. Well, you know, politicians love to argue about, uh, you know, who is uh, to take credit and who is uh, blaming. Uh, but, you know, it is a really interesting uh, time right now for the economy. It's kind of a tricky time with uh, things reopening, people getting vaccinated. But, uh, you know, some hesitancy still there and, and the uh, employment picture being uh, the way it is. So it is definitely something uh, to watch. Uh, Jim, you had $2.5 Tell us about that. Uh I will, of course, Zach, before I do that, I, I have to admit I'm feeling kind of silly because I, I went out and actually <clears throat> filled about six uh, bags, uh, garbage bags of gasoline. You were that guy, nice. Thinking that that would be the right thing to do uh, because, you know, I went out and bought the uh, the hefty flex bags. And, you know, they're very strong. And then uh, more than that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of thinking I, I made a bad decision. Uh, in order to protect the gas bags from hoarders, I put them in my kid's room. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, I, I'm going to have to go and get all that out of there because I just feel like I've made a terrible mistake. Uh, yeah, you, you but, really doubled uh, down there to use a gambling metaphor. Holy smokes. I thought we were going to get out of this podcast with that, without any gambling puns, <laughs> but I see we've broken that as well. All right. And so on that note, then, uh, yes, my, uh, my number is 2.5 billion. Uh, and if you hadn't guessed it, I've been telegraphing it this whole time. Yes. 2.5. Five billion is the uh, worth of the 30-year gambling deal that was struck by Governor Ron DeSantis in the Seminole Tribe of Florida. That, among uh, many things, will bring legal sports betting to the state. I should mention this: this deal, if it is eventually approved, <clears throat> will also let the tribe, uh, for instance, continue to exclusively deal blackjack. It can keep its slot machines. It can, if it wants, uh, would be able to add roulette tables and, and craps tables. Um, but obviously, uh, the, uh, the big deal is that, uh, you know, it, they would be getting sports betting. And so that's uh, uh, legal sports betting first time in Florida. Uh, and also, it would allow uh, Floridians to make such wagers on uh, their smartphones. So what does that mean? I, it means um, I was as I will write in a story that is due out tomorrow. It could usher in 
a whole new group of Floridians um, ready for action. But of course, the first step is getting the, the okay from the Florida legislature, uh, and that will be in a week-long special session that kicks off next Monday. All right. A lot of cash at stake when lawmakers meet next week. Well, my number is 300. That's the amount of additional weekly unemployment benefits that the federal government is providing through September under coronavirus relief legislation. That federal unemployment supplement has drawn increasing criticism, as Antonio mentioned, from business owners who say they are having a hard time hiring workers, in part because of the unemployment benefits that they argue are too generous. Labor advocates say the hiring issue is more complex than that, but the criticism of the unemployment benefits supplement is resonating with GOP leaders here in Florida. This week, Dane Eagle, who's the head of the Florida agency uh, that controls the unemployment benefit system, said that a requirement that anyone getting unemployment checks must be actively looking for work will be reinstated starting next month. That work search requirement was lifted during the height of the pandemic because so few jobs were available. Now, some states have gone further and are talking about uh, not extending the federal unemployment money, basically, um, you know, uh, rejecting it at, at some point. Is that and you know, there's questions about whether that's something that could happen in Florida. And Eagle uh, was asked about the, that this week, and he told reporters, "quote." We are monitoring and seeing what other states are doing, and I won't take it completely off the table, but as of today, we're focused on this return to work initiative. So Eagle's not ruling out ending the federal unemployment supplement early in Florida. And if that happened, Florida would revert, would revert to just $275 in weekly unemployment benefits, which is the lowest in the nation. That wraps up another episode of Inside Florida Politics. I want to thank our audio production guru, Thomas Cordy, and thanks to all of you for listening. Stay safe. We're out of here.